Rowan Williams, a Welsh Anglican bishop, has a quote that captures a recurring theme of my lived experience. He says, truth makes love possible. Truth makes love possible. It's one of those ideas that when I'm able to keep it in the front of my consciousness helps everything else make sense. Truth makes love possible. Such a simple idea, but so hard to hold on to. I remember, and it's like a light coming on in the room, and then inevitably I forget, and I forget I've forgotten until something jogs my memory and I remember it again. Don't we all have some idea like that that we wish we could just hold on to? It's so powerful and simple, but so elusive, and it constantly slips away. Maybe I need to write it on my bathroom mirror or on the back of my hand. Truth makes love possible. In the Gospel of Thomas, Jesus says, if you bring forth what is within you, what you bring forth will save you. If you do not bring forth what is within you, what you do not bring forth will destroy you. Perhaps you've experienced this in your own life too that what is within you must be acknowledged, must be reckoned with and integrated, lest the secret of it kill you. It might be some truth about who you love or your gender identity, or it might be a truth about a persistent struggle that won't let you go and must be faced, like an addiction, an unhealthy pattern of negative self-talk or a broken relationship in need of renewal, or perhaps closure. These are the kinds of truths that can destroy us if we don't bring them forth, but can save us if we do. In 1993, my partner Allison and I had been together for four years, and we decided to have a commitment ceremony. There we are, in and out. That was a thing that same-sex couples did back then in the days before marriage equality as a way to publicly declare our commitment to one another. Now it sounds kind of pedestrian. But to us then, it felt radical and even a little dangerous. People were mad about gay and lesbian couples pretending to get married, and several people who mattered a lot to us refused to attend. But our chosen family would gather around us in support and celebration. And as the day grew closer, we were excited and nervous. We planned details like flowers and music and cake and rings, which we thought would be the easy part, and it was actually, compared to writing our vows, which had been much harder than we had anticipated because of all the truth we needed to tell one another about what we feared and what we hoped for in the years ahead. On one of the days of commitment ceremony-related errands, we had an encounter, I'll always remember, at the bakery. We were stumbling to describe the cake we wanted to order without coming out to the baker. <laughs> we wanted it fancy, cream and lavender to match the balloons. Is this for a wedding? She wanted to know. We were nervous and unclear in our responses. Well, not a wedding exactly, more like a celebration or a party. And the more she tried to clarify, the more general we got and the less she understood. It was painfully awkward for everyone involved. 
But at some point, I'd had enough, and I finally blurted out, actually, it is for a wedding. It's for our wedding. We are getting married. And then I could see a light go off in the baker's head. Oh, she said. And then she started beaming. Congratulations! And she came out from behind the counter, and she gave us a giant hug, both of us, kind of like a grandma would. And we all laughed at how awkward it had been. And I might have cried a little bit. If we let it, truth makes love possible. The truth we'd been hiding was the catalyst for an authentic, spontaneous, loving response. And I swear, it made that cake taste really good later. Now, I realize this could have gone differently. Truth doesn't guarantee love. It only makes it possible. It wouldn't have been the first time a baker refused to make a gay wedding cake. Sometimes people hear the truth and they shut down instead of letting love well up where it should. Some parents tear up coming out letters and turn their backs when the moment of truth and the invitation to deeper connection arrives in the mail. Some religious traditions condone or even proscribe this. But as Unitarian Universalists, our theology is clear. No God, no force in the universe, no person living in alignment with the good should shut the doors to love. The truth is a prerequisite to real love, so we need that too. No one can really love us if, we don't, if they don't really know us. So sometimes we've just got to put the truth out there and hope that love will be the response. We choose our time and place, of course. We place bets on those we think are going to keep their hearts open to us. We hide when we need to, if we can, for our own safety or because we're just so tired of carrying the weight of others' disapproval. It's a tragedy that we need to do that, but that's self-preservation when we can't count on others to receive our particular truth with love. Now, in the perfect world, pride celebrations would be a place that all queer folk were able to bring their full, true selves and count on being welcomed with joy. Pride would be a place prepared collaboratively, thoughtfully, with attention to the deeper meaning of the event and care for the diverse lived lives of LGBTQ folks. But plenty of us don't experience pride as a place where our reality is seen and heard. To a great degree in some cities and a lesser degree in others, pride centers white people, young adults, people of means. There is some room for people who transgress gender norms as long as they aren't too far from center and don't take themselves too seriously. Too often, queers of color, two-spirit, native folks, trans folks, fat folks, queer kids, our elders, differently abled folks and those who are cash poor find themselves pushed to the margins to make way for camera-ready corporate pride. And far too often, LGBTQ individuals and organizations are seduced by corporate sponsorships and the conditional approval they offer. We let pride be used as an opportunity for marketing or as implied endorsement for groups with broader agendas that do not value liberation for all of us. 
This trade-off diminishes the potential of pride as a force for liberation, as the true stories and struggles of LGBTQ folks are left behind in the rush to be deemed worthy of sponsorship. LGBTQ communities need to be vigilant if we're to be successful in our quest for liberation. We've not arrived there yet, not, not even close. Marriage equality is most definitely not the end of that road. Just as some white UUs fear that grappling with the white supremacy in our churches and institutions might destroy our faith, some white LGBTQ folks resist confronting oppression within the movement because they fear that a focus on racism, classism, and sexism will distract from the focus on gay rights. As though my own liberation matters, but yours somehow doesn't. Or as though these things operate independently from one another. But as my friend Laura Reed Bradley says, we need to take pride in our roots, learn our queer history, and honor our transcestors. <laughs> there would be no pride parades, no festivals, if not for the trans and queer folk, and especially the people of color who drew a line in the sand at Stonewall. We are richer than one single story. When we try to tell just one truth, we diminish the beautiful impulses that were the birth of pride, defiantly reclaiming our true selves, loving ourselves as we are unconditionally, and fighting for one another and for our right to love who we love. In fact, listening to and centering the concerns of the most marginalized LGBTQ folks is the very thing that will keep us on track to liberation. Listening for the whole truth, the complicated truth, the, bo the both and truth, rather than the either or truth, the personal is political truths of all our siblings' lives is the compass that will keep us pointed toward love. Before I was here, starting in my late 20s and for 15 years, I cultivated the art of deep listening. As I sat with clients for five or six hours a day, five days a week, in my career as a marriage and family therapist. I didn't realize when I started that this was a spiritual practice. At first, I thought I was listening to clients so I could figure things out. But over time, I came to realize I was listening so I could sense the spark of the divine, the voice of truth in each person and reflect it back to them. I got a lot of practice at it. I learned most of the time to see past the posturing and insecurity, the masks and the ego, and glimpse the individual hiding in there. About half my clients were LGBTQ. We queer folk have a lot of practice with hiding. The costs of being seen can be very high. The loss of a parent's love, the loss of a job, the loss of a home, the loss of custody of our own children, if we're seen by the wrong person, especially if we are people of color or if we transgress gender, we might be rejected, harassed, even killed. But we all need to be seen, known, and understood. We long for it, even when we fear it. James Baldwin famously said, love takes off masks we fear we cannot live without, and know we cannot live within. 
what a choice to have to make. But so often we courageously choose to show our true selves anyway. When someone shows up to you in that way, honest and unguarded, you feel it arrive in your gut. All of a sudden, it gets real, right? Time slows down. It feels a little scary sometimes because once the walls are down, the truth is right there in its full naked power. For a quick second, you might want to back away or change the subject. Instead, you take a deep breath to steady yourself and you let the truth have space. We've all had that moment right before someone tells us something big and true, something we know is going to change us. We can feel it coming. In those moments, I sometimes silently whisper in my own head to both of us, it's okay, we can do this, we can do this. In those years of professional listening, I heard particular personal truths many of them, both joyful and sad. I heard about a particular child who was lost in a particular way, a particular grandfather with a particularly loving bit of wisdom, particular words someone wished they had said before it was too late, a particular poem that had helped show the way in a particularly pivotal moment in someone's life. And I heard general truths repeated, too. People are lonely. People need more sleep. (laughs) People doubt themselves, regret their choices, long to be understood. People find healing in nature. People struggle to make peace with the past. Being loved well by even one person helps people survive difficult childhoods. People thought they would be better parents, better partners. People are soul-tired by oppression. They worry that the world is too hard on their kids. It's all much harder being an adult than we thought it would be. In the echo after the truth is spoken aloud, if you are able to be still, there will be a shared moment of what might be called grace a feeling of what might be called reverence. The room will fill with love. It might be hard to keep breathing, but you do. You breathe in peace, you breathe out love. Something holy is happening. You know this tender, heartbreaking truth is the seed for more love in this world. There's a secret shared by, I think, maybe all good therapists. And here's the secret. When your job is to listen deeply, at some point you find yourself loving so many people. When people tell you their truth, you experience its transformative power, not just on the speaker, but on you too. You find yourself loving people you didn't know you could love you notice that you have a greater capacity for love than you ever imagined. Eventually, you notice that all people are lovable. You notice that truth is indeed what makes the love you feel possible. But it's hard, too. 
And what of that pain that so often comes with hearing these truths? Well, fortunately, Rowan Williams' quote has a second part. Truth makes love possible, he says. And he adds, love makes truth bearable. Have you ever been lucky enough to experience the perfect symmetry of this in your life? Truth makes love possible, and then love makes truth bearable. As the truth opens a space for love, it rushes in and makes us kinder with ourselves and others about the ways in which we are imperfect. And this emboldens us to face deeper truths, and love grows in a spiraling symmetry. When we're able to get out of the way and let this flow, the world is more bearable. It puts our free-floating anxiety in perspective. We're not as fearful about the specter of bad hombres because we're reminded that everyone has a story and that the vast majority of us want more kindness, more connection, more love in the world. Our feeling of hopelessness about the state of the world is chased away. This is why in Religious Education for Children and Youth at First Universalist, we explicitly encourage and teach our children how to talk about hard things. This is faith formation. We listen to their joys and concerns. We give them the information and words they need to talk about sexuality in their fifth and eighth grade Our Whole Lives classes. We open conversations about race and privilege and white supremacy. Starting in preschool, we acknowledge and celebrate the wide diversity of families. We listen to our children's particular stories, hear about how race, racism, and whiteness affect their particular friendships and schools, ask them to draw pictures of their particular families, hear about their particular struggles with growing up, and celebrate their particular personal milestones. Our goal is to keep our kids talking and listening so that their hearts remain open, so that they never doubt that their experience matters, so that they never close themselves off from caring about their own or another person's pain, inner knowing, sources of joy. We want to preserve their wholeness. That was there when they started. We want to develop their morality and deepen their capacity for awareness of self and other and it can't be done in isolation. This is a key reason we gather in religious community, whatever our age. Seeing and being seen, listening and being heard. These are necessary elements of a good life, a mature spirituality, a life that makes a positive difference. If you are missing such a place in your own life, if you are walking a lonely path, I hope you will consider joining a small group circle here at church or volunteering with a team of people who might become your people. Those who want to maintain and deepen the divide between those of us with power and those of us without it are also invested in keeping us from knowing one another, from knowing our neighbors who are living in different realities than our own. In particular, we're discouraged from knowing people who hold less power and encounter more oppression than we do. This maintains the status quo. But we can resist this influence. If my neighbors look and think and love like I do, I can seek out those who don't. 
If my child's school doesn't reflect the diversity of the Twin Cities Metro, I can take them to events and gatherings that do. I can talk to people, invite them into my home, build real and lasting friendships. If we are courageous enough to listen to those whose voices are not often heard, we won't just feel better. We will actually be saved by this, all of us, saved by listening. It's not that we don't need to do the hard work of justice, too. Of course we do. But listening comes first. Here's where the wisdom of Dr. Cornell West comes in. Dr. West tells us to never forget that justice is what love looks like in public, right? Justice is what love looks like in public. So to me, that's, that works out pretty clearly if we apply the transitive law of mathematics. Love is at the root of justice, and truth is at the root of love. So truth is the starting place for justice. First we listen, first we listen. We consciously cultivate the practice of deep listening and the next step follows naturally. Step two, we love. The alchemy of deep listening reveals to us the beauty, dignity, and worth of the person we are hearing and love takes root, which leads us to the third step, we seek liberation. And we do what we can do to manifest it in the world. This is the only trustworthy kind of justice work there is. When we think we're doing justice work, but we don't actually specifically, particularly know and love the people most impacted by the injustice, we get nowhere. We get tired. We do it wrong. We give up. On the other hand, when we fight for the lives of people we love, we're not just allies. Our own hearts are on the line, too. We're fighting for our lives, too. Those of us who lived through the height of the AIDS crisis understand this. It was love that fueled every action, every die-in, every time we shut down the freeway, every stitch in every panel of the AIDS quilt. We wouldn't take no for an answer. We weren't patient. We weren't going to go away. We could not just tolerate business as usual. Our loved ones were needlessly suffering and dying. My friends, the revolution will be loud and disruptive and raucous sometimes. But it all starts with getting quiet. With our capacity to love unleashed, we can and we will do whatever it takes to manifest liberation for all of us. We're up to the work of loving the hell out of the world. The work that felt too big, hopeless, impossible, the work that needs to be done becomes manageable, non-negotiable, and hope-filled and we know our place in it. Dear LGBTQ loved ones, take courage. Whether you are able to show your true self only to the one who sees you in the mirror, or whether you are accurately seen and known by many, the truth of who you are is beautiful and lovable and necessary. If the world doesn't always know it, right here and right now this morning, we do. And no matter who you are, LGBTQ, intersex, asexual, straight, black, brown, Asian, indigenous, or white, trans, genderqueer, male or female, whatever combination of words and letters describes your identities, on this Pride Sunday, I hope the truth of who you are is seen 
and celebrated. We are all worthy of glitter and cake and rainbows. May it be so, and amen. <laughs>